Today on the show, we're talking about why you should be different. Welcome to Simple Money Solutions Podcast, your path to financial independence through deliberate lifestyle choices. My name's Courtney. I'm your host, and today I'm joined with Trevor. Thank you so much for being here with us today as we discuss why you should be different. So there's an expression out there, and I just want to say this off the top because it really resonated with me, and I wish I could give this credit to whoever said this, because, but I searched the internet, and I can't find anyone to give credit for it, but I will say that I'm not going to take credit for this, this brilliant quote, and it's, if you want something else nobody else has, you have to be willing to do something nobody else does, and that's so powerful, and, and if you think of our society you know, we, we all go to work for eight hours a day. We, the, in Canada, the, the, there is some disparity between the, the most wealthy and, and the most unwealthy people. But Canada is, is such a socialist environment in, in, as opposed to capitalist like in the United States that that disparity is, is smaller. So we kind of all are, we're all on a similar playing field. So if, if in fact you want to, if, if you're doing what everybody else is doing, then your life is going to play out. Chances are financially, your life is going to play out like everybody else's life plays out. So if everybody's working until they're 65 and retiring with debt, just most Canadians, that that's reality, then chances are if, if you're, doing what everybody else is doing, it's going to play out the same. No, that's a fabulous point. And, and really what this podcast is about is about making the societal norm or, or something that's not norm, the norm based on, on what we talk about here on this podcast. Exactly. We're trying to put normalcy around driving an older car, for instance. You know, we're trying to put normalcy around having a budget and spending responsibly if we in another expression you're the average of the five people you spend most time with well i'm hoping us spending an hour in your ears every week is helping put some normalcy and and we represent two of your people in your your circle at, at some degree so trevor before we dive any further into this episode i just want to throw out um early on before uh, we forget to mention at the end that February is quickly approaching, um, starting on Friday, which marks the beginning of Frugality February. So for any new listeners who weren't with us last year, last year we started, um, we did this thing called Frugality February. And for the whole entire month of February, we refrained from purchasing a coffee or tea, if you're not a coffee drinker, um, out when you were from from any kind of coffee store or coffee shop. And uh, we did that for the whole entire month. And Trevor and I definitely um, are on board with you um, throughout the whole month. We join on. And uh, it's definitely a great time to kind of challenge your your partner, challenge your friends or challenge your family members, even your coworkers should join you in, in not purchasing coffee out. And I don't know about you, Trevor, but I found it surprisingly difficult. I mean, I don't normally drink a lot of coffee or tea out. I, I like to bring my traveler with me, but there were a lot of times where it was just, I was with some friends and it was like, oh, let's grab some coffee. And I'm like, oh, I'm okay, but you guys grab coffee. The kind of that it, where you caught yourself not realizing how it has become such a normal act. Um, 
and, and you were saying, Trevor, that you kind of felt a little challenged yourself last year. Um, and I know you actually are, you're going on a kind of a few trips. You won't always be doing your traditional routine for the entire month of February. So how, how are you going to go about um, tackling Frigati February this year? Well, I just want to say it, it, it's not about the money. You, you know, it, it, coffee is not a, a huge expense, but it's about proving to you yourself that you can change your behavior and it takes just 30 days to do it. And, and it's it's fairly painless once you get to the end of the 30 days. And it's just proving, if you can do this, then then improve yourself that your, baby, your behavior can be changed financially on this small scale, then I, I, you got to think it's possible on a larger scale. So that's the whole purpose behind this. It's not the, the price of the coffee. It's not That's not really not going to move the needle, but just proving that you can do this. And so for me, I, well, I, I had a habit. I, I would buy a coffee every Friday on my way to work. That, that was my thing last year. And for gradually February, I, I had to not do that four times. And it, I just stopped doing it completely. So it permanently changed my behavior in that, I just realized that it wasn't, it didn't really make a difference to my Friday. I, I used to think buying this coffee would make my Friday kind of special, you know, end of the week, kind of a celebration, real small scale, but <laughs> it was something I, I did. And at the end of February, I realized, you know, my Fridays just continued to be good days because it was the end of the week. I didn't need that coffee to to put a cherry on top of it. So I, I like that you mentioned that this is not a money-saving strategy because you're right. Coffee costs $2, $5, whatever coffee you usually buy. It's not really going to move the needle. But the the level of, of discipline, and I think, like you said, the the ability to develop a habit is so powerful. I know um, one of my friends, um, she, she doesn't listen to the podcast, but I told her that I was engaging with Frugality February, and she decided to do it as well. And she was blown away by how much of a habit it had ingrained within her by the end of February. And for me as well, I, I mentioned that I don't drink a lot of coffee or tea out um, or purchase it when I'm out. But the after February was over, so going into March, I had if I had any desire to purchase a coffee or tea out, it was completely eliminated by the time March came around. I mean, I had no no desire to even even do that so it's it was it was mind-blowing how effective uh, this challenge was and the don't forget coffee the caffeine is a drug so this is this adds a little bit of an extra challenge to the challenge right so you're not only uh, breaking a spending habit you're kind of you're, you're kind of breaking an addiction at some level and you're still going to drink coffee but maybe you know if it's tim horton's coffee maybe it's got a little more kick to it that you're you're missing so that there is a uh, th- that makes it an added challenge. And let's not forget too, we are, we, uh, we're throwing f- frugality February into maybe arguably the coldest month in Canada. If you, if you live in the, the coldest uh, areas so in Ontario, it's uh, it's very, very cold. And so, so that I think is another added, um, added, added struggle, I guess, is that um, February is cold and, and coffee or tea is, is, is warm. So you really kind of have to plan ahead and, and think that through. So, Trevor, with uh, Frugality February on the table, again, that starts um, this Friday, uh, February 1st. We'll check in with you um, after the weekend is over and uh, see how see how it's going. So, Trevor, let's get back to today's episode on why you should be different. And I want to kind of talk about the idea of being different. So, we live in a society where 
it's good to blend in. It's, 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 well, depending who you are, maybe you want to stand out, maybe you want to be different, but as a norm, if you can kind of blend in and, and, and be quote unquote normal again, it's very, that's a very subjective word, but why would we want to strive to be different? Why would we, I mean, you were driving your, your very old car up until you recently replaced it. I mean, that you kind of already stand out. Why, why would you want to do more things to, to be different? Well, you know, a better question might be, why would you want to be the same as everybody around you and the generations before you? And and the reason you would is because it's safe. You know how that story plays out. You know how it ends. There's some certainty. So let's just say you, you, you be different and you make, I'm doing air quotes, sacrifices now for a better life or in the future, maybe early financial independence, which I think everyone should strive for. And just say you don't know what early financial independence looks looks like because you don't know anybody that's living it. You don't know. Maybe it's not the the promised land you think it's going to be. So why would you make those sacrifices now in not knowing how that's going to play out? So it, it's kind of it's almost risky to be different. And I think so. But why would you be different? It's because you don't like the stories that are playing out in front of you. That that's the reason why you'd be different. And I want to say. That quote I gave you, uh, if you want something else nobody has, has, be willing to do something else nobody else does. We're talking about that from a financial standpoint today, but that also, you could apply that to every aspect of your life, your health, your diet. I mean, most people, as they get older, they get larger physically, they gain weight. If you don't want to be that person, if you don't want to be the person that gains weight as you get older, you're going to have to not eat like all those other people are eating. So it really... And if people, they start to lose their mobility and their physical abilities as they get older, it's because they just, they stop moving at some point. So if you don't want to be that person, you have to stay active all the time. So this would apply to every aspect of your life. But today we're talking about it financially. I I really like that emphasis on how, again, this philosophy can be applied. It's just so many different facets of life. And, And to your point about, you don't know how being different might play out because again, nobody is living that lifestyle. You can, like you said, look at the lifestyle individuals are living. Individuals could be in debt. Um, it could be um, unhealthy physically or emotionally or, or psychologically with, with the lifestyle they're taking on. So you kind of assume what is being put in to create an individual who who are those things who who are maybe in debt and 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 really just do the opposite like it's it's not you can kind of see the outcome because you won't be in debt if you live this way versus you will be in debt if you live that way it's kind of not hard to see what being different will result in as as some other things may may be well when you look at at somebody else's life and you the only thing you don't know is the income they have to finance that life. You can only speculate about it. So if somebody's living in a a $500,000 house and driving a a $65,000 truck, you can can look at their house and if if you're familiar with real estate prices in your town, even at a very high level, you can speculate on the the price of that town. I I think you can look it up on MPAC and see what uh, a a property sold for. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out how much a house costs. And you don't have to, I mean, you can just go on the internet and see what vehicles cost. The, the only unknown in most people's financial lives is, is 
And if you have kids of your own, you know how much it costs to raise a child. So you can figure out somebody's cost structure quite easily. When you're trying to, you know, say you're dreaming of, of you think somebody's living a better life than you are financially, you can figure out what their life is costing them pretty easily. The, the one thing you don't know is how much money they have to finance that life. And then the difference would be, you know, if the inputs don't equal the outputs, they're, they're living a life of debt is kind of what you're, where you're going with that, right? No, exactly, exactly. So I think a lot of people, they just, they don't do that. They just, they look at somebody's possessions and, and they covet that. But you, you have to be willing to accept the, the, the debt that lifestyle would, del- would bring, right? The, you can't, you can't have both. You, you, there's another, here's another expression. You can have anything you want. You just can't have everything you want. So if there's something you want really bad, you, you probably can afford it, but you just can't afford everything. You got, you got to pick and choose. And a lot of people don't. So I, I just think being different to me is super important because I, I know how not being different plays out. Oh, exactly. So Trevor, I, you created a list of how ways of how to be different. You have five items on your list. And I want to preface that by kind of alluding to the inspiration behind today's episode. Um, if anyone has been on Netflix recently there, I'm not sure how recently it was added, but I recently found out about it. Um, and the show on Netflix, it's called How to Live Mortgage Free with Sarah Beanie. It's a um, it's a fabulous show. It's really, really great. And and I, I told Trevor about it. He watched uh, five episodes himself. And Trevor, it was it was incredible about what you narrowed it down to about the show being about. So what I noticed is every show, they, they there was three or four people in each show that this lady interviewed. And, and these people, their their goal was to live a debt-free, uh, mortgage-free life. And so it was them trying to find a place to live where they didn't have to borrow any money or, or not much money to, to, to create this home. And they were very diverse. You know, one person was living on a boat. Um, another person was, they found a, a, an old church they turned into a house. And there was a, one person turned a stable into a, a house. So people would take unconventional spaces and turn them into homes. And after about five episodes, I, me and my wife were watching and I realized, we talked about it, and all these people, what they were willing to be is different. And they, they had the courage to not be judged. So, so they were willing to be different and they didn't care what society thought about them. The, important, the thing they were striving for was to live mortgage-free. They, this show takes place in, in Britain. and it, it, they, So even in another country, they're all struggling with the same issue. They didn't want to sign up for 30 years of mortgage payments. They didn't, they didn't want that. It, that wasn't important enough to them. So they were willing to be different for that goal. And who knows how living on a boat plays out 30 years from now. I'm sure a boat doesn't last forever, probably not near as long as a home. But the point is all these people were willing to be different to get to that that place. And and I find that part incredible because um, they're, again, they're doing something that, that, like you said, it's not the norm in that others may kind of think of their decision, maybe in, like you said, judge, but that, like you said, the most important part is that they are living their life, the life they want to live. You know, the thing I did, I noticed in watching this show is they never really 
uh, got to what inspired them to want to be mortgage, live mortgage free. They, I ne- they never really peeled back the onion to, obviously, for people to want that, they must have seen something or, or been exposed to something that was negative, right? So normally, uh, if you watch the generation before you sign up for 30 years of mortgage payments, and they seem quite happy and content and, and living a, a, a fulfilled life, why wouldn't that appeal to you, right? So they, these people must have saw some sort of tragic outcome in the conventional lifestyle. No, that's a phenomenal point because some of these builds, um, during the episode, some of the homes were already built and um, the host would just view the home and explore the home with the owner. And some of the other projects that were being worked on were being worked on while the show was being filmed. And I mean, some of these builds, Trevor, they were they were labor intensive on a shoestring budget. Like they were by no means um, a luxurious build. So you are right. There had to be some um, massive defining thought that, that that made them pursue this lifestyle for you what would you you say your deep-seated reason to pursue a financial independence independence and financial freedom be the one thing i i have the real for me the real currency of life is time you're trading your time your life's energy for money and then you use that money to buy survival needs meet your survival needs and your comforts of life and i i don't want to trade my time for money uh any longer than i have to i want i want choice in my life so for me it it, i've always felt that way i I don't it's not like i had some you know traumatic event that led me to this i've always seen that i was trading time for money and i want to say in that show all these people that chose to live mortgage-free in this unconventional way, none of those choices, all those choices, like you say, they required a lot of effort. I mean, going to a bank and signing up for a mortgage was probably way easier. In fact, our society creates that, that makes it really easy. You know, there isn't many people who can't quickly figure out how to get a mortgage. You know, if you can get approved, getting the money, our society is designed to just, that. that's a normal path. And just a few people don't choose it. But in this show, people were like living on a boat, taking an old boat and renovating it and and turning it into a place to live. There is no cookie cutter way to do that. It's unique to every single person that tries it. Uh, Turning a a stable into a uh, a home to live in, you uh, you can't look that up and say, "Oh, here's the here's the plans for it," right? Because it's it's unique to that situation. So. One thing that's getting okay, I'm not a, a fan of it, but tiny homes, I, I don't know if I could live in one. I'm, I'm a fan of the concept, but that's getting to be almost cookie cutter now. You're, you can find lots of information on that on the internet, but in this show, there was a lot of things that it was just, I never thought of that. And some people were just coming up with brilliant schemes to live mortgage free. No, it really was incredible. And, and like we always do say on the podcast, Trevor, I'm glad you brought that up, that being frugal and and aiming for financial independence, it's not always convenient. It's not always the easiest path or the path most traveled. You might have to tread your own way through the forest, pushing leaves and vines aside in order to, to get um, to trek through your through your journey. 
So I do want to dive now into your five strategies on on how to be different. And it's kind of, it, it sounds a little counterintuitive that we've thrown together strategies on and how specifically to be different. But Trevor, you said that this list that you've put together is kind of the big, bold, most impactful ways you can be different in the fact of how to to live a financially smart life. Yeah, this is gonna be, there's going to be no surprises in this list. We talk about the big things in your life that will uh, impact you financially in the long term. Uh, this is just another way of looking at why you would or wouldn't choose those things. So let's start off with number one. And your first, again, are these in order, before I even start with them, are these in order of uh, the most significant, um, impactful to, to the least significant, or is this just a randomized list? Yeah, this is just a randomized list. I, I would I would weight these all equally. Okay, so on that note, number one is drive an older car. Again, we have said this point numerous times, have dedicated episodes to this point, but Trevor, why is this one aspect that you should be different with? I've said this before, drive an older car, if you get this wrong, you get a chance to get this wrong every eight to 10 years. Uh, best case scenario, maybe every three to four years, worst case scenario. But getting this wrong repeatedly, it's going to kill you. But be want to be different. If everyone's driving $65,000 trucks and work until they're 65, if that isn't the, how you want your story to play out, then this this is the a good choice to, to be different. And, and wear it as a badge of honor. Don't be ashamed that you're driving an older car. Be proud of being different. I, I think that is the... I remember, so I, I had these old, oh, this old van I drove. I drove it like it was a, I want to say it was probably 14 years old by the time I got rid of it. And I remember driving it into work one day and somebody said to me in the parking lot, they said, wow, that thing's really getting old. I mean, uh, when are you thinking of getting rid of it? And I said, I'm not getting rid of it. This thing's like a member of my family. I've actually <laughs> named it. It's it's called Paid For. <laughs> And that ended that conversation quickly. So I, I, you, you have to be different and be proud of it. Otherwise, if you're ashamed of being different, you, it's not sustainable. You won't be able to do this. So in our society, unfortunately, cars are viewed as a status symbol incorrectly. Like they're, they're anything but a status symbol. Anyone can get a car loan. You can get a car lease. I mean, you don't have to have a great income to, to get a, a $65,000 truck. So I really think because our society views it as a status symbol, you really have to be proud of your old car. And when I actually hear it for me, I recently had to replace my car and I'm almost driving it around ashamed, you know, that, that I had to get a new car. Like I, 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 I feel like I'm, you're just, you're just one of them. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I feel like they think I've come to their side of their way of thinking. They don't know that I'm going to keep this for 15 years, but I don't care. That's the important thing is I really don't care. I, I, I'm beyond judgment. And it's easier the older you get to really. I was about to say that. I was like, Trevor, you are, you're nearing retirement. You, you kind of have like your one goal in mind. What, what, what is your recommendation for maybe our younger listeners who are at that point where their car is like kind of at that embarrassingly 
time to be replaced car because you said you hit a point where it got your car got so old that you were you were proud of it and so what do you do at that kind of awkward in between stage I think you just have to be known as the guy with the old car and just just be okay with that I I really it's not it's a lot easier when you are younger for sure I mean older when you're younger, you're, you're you just don't have the com- the self confidence that that you do when you're older. Um, so I'm I'm not saying it's easy, but it, you have to just have to get past it. And in terms of being different, cars are that one thing that are constantly being shoved in other people's face faces, just because they are driven around. You you drive them to meet friends, you drive them to work. You, you, they're constantly on the road, and you're constantly kind of associated with your car. So to have this point is number one on how to be different, I think is, is, is important. I mean, they're all listed equally all your points, but this one is definitely one that, that I think others could perceive a lot about you, but you're right. The judgment I think is the key part to, to really overcoming that. So let's move on to point number two and point number two is to live in a modest home. So Trevor, can I have your definition of modest? It's a little, uh, it's, it's kind of subjective. So how would you define modest and why is this something to be proud of? So uh, first to be uh, different with your home is to view your home as a place of safety and security and comfort, not a status symbol, not a showpiece not a de- not a dis- demonstration of of your status or wealth. So you start with to be different with a home. You have to think about your home in a different way. You can't think about your home as as something you want to show off or you want as many pos- people to see it as possible. It has to be something that you deem comfortable, safe, and secure. That's all. The- if a home is those three things, it, it it meets the criteria of a home in my world. But to, to live in a modest home, I, I think you'll know, and this is, again, it's, it's Plato, you'll know you lived in a modest home if at some point in time your home was, you might have thought maybe this place is too small. You know, so you're at the, the peak of your child raising years and you have as many kids as bedrooms or maybe you have more kids than bedrooms, but there's this real small window of time where you, you think your house feels a little cramped. And looking back, there's this real small window of time where you need, where I needed a really large house. You know, it was a window of about, I'm going to say less than 10 years. It might've been like seven years because what happens is your kids are really small. You can't get, let them get too far away from you because you're, you're, you're concerned about their safety. They, They can't really look after themselves. And then there's this other period of time where your kids, they're older and they just want their own space and you don't spend a lot of time around them. So, so that's where they, you need the space where everyone can have their own private space to get away from each other. So I, I, it's, it's less than 10 years. It's, it's, it's more than five years. So it's in this little window of time where you really, really need a lot of space. But if you're going to own a house for 30 years, that means there's 25 years that you really, you ended up with too much house. If you, if your house is more than adequate for those that small window of time, then you had this house that was way too big for too long. So if you know you live in a modest home, if at some point it felt small. So that that's how I it, that's how I think you could get to that point. You know, you can't do math on this. It's a, it's a touch and feel thing. And the problem is you won't know until it's played out. So I'm I'm kind of surprised that point number two is just simply live in a modest home. There's no 
be as frugal as possible when choosing your home or it's not um, buy as small as you can. Like this point doesn't sound overly different. Is, is there a reason it's a little, it feels just, I guess it just feels conservative. Well, I think a home is somewhere you have to, you have to be comfortable. So I, I, I think it's hard to really, for everybody that's going to be different, but don't make it a status symbol. Don't make it a, a showpiece. That's where it all goes off the rails. So, so, so a home is... So it's mostly about then making it a home, not a house. Yes, that, that is actually a really good way of describing it. A lot of people own houses. I prefer to own a home. And again, for anyone who's kind of never heard that differentiation before, a home is, again, like Trevor said, a place for safety and shelter and comfort. And a house, like Trevor also said, is more of a status symbol. And, and Trevor, for you, I mean, do you think if our listeners grew up in a house or a status symbol of a home with, with parents who who cared about the appearance of their home, do you think moving into the home, the whole home mentality and living in a modest home would be would be difficult? I mean, what was what? How did your upbringing reflect your firm beliefs about what kind of home you would live in? Well, I, I grew up in a in a house that was generally speaking, larger than, more space than we, we needed as a family. I felt that way as a child. So I, I got to think my parents felt that way as well. I had, I feel my house, I, I could have gone a little smaller, you know, looking back. But I, I got, I think I, I raised, I bought a modest home and raised a family in a fairly modest home. I have another kind of other question for you. And, and, and that guy was sparked by what you just said about you could have bought a little less house. Did it ever or does it ever kind of baffle you or do you ever find it challenging to to look at homes or, or decide that maybe you want to move but are, feel confined by the standard way of, of that homes are built with their three living rooms and two family rooms and, and, and just kind of the standard layout? Does that you, Do you feel that hinders at all? kind of the direction that you'd maybe want to move your next home or, or the home that you're even living in. You know, it's funny. You'd be hard-pressed to find a... If you went to a brand-new subdivision, you'd be hard-pressed to find a house that's under 2,500 square feet. They, they don't build many of those. And But if you went and looked at houses in the 1970s, a subdivision that was built in the 1970s, you, you'd... You, wouldn't have to look too far to find houses that were under a thousand square feet. They ex- there was a lot of those in my town, and families, if anything, have got smaller as time's gone, if, as time has evolved. And but but families were were raised and in, in, in functional people were delivered to society out of these nine hundred square foot homes. So it it can be done. It, it it was done in the past, but we have evolved into this need for 3,000, 4,000 square foot homes. And I, I just think it's, it's excessive. It, it's, it's unnecessary. And I, I asked that too, because I, I'm not quite in the housing market myself, but um, uh, Jay's my boyfriend and I will, will eventually be looking for a home. And we've kind of just been poking our noses at the housing market, just kind of see what's out there. And uh, that's one thing we're finding is that uh, like, unless you're kind of living more in the the, the, I guess the countryside or an older home, it, the layouts get very extensive and, and, and seem like too much space. 
So Trevor, let's jump on to point number three and your third of five points of how to be different is avoid home improvement. So I know we've dedicated a whole episode to this and you are very passionate about this point, but how does this point truly make us different? Well, if you, I, I'm, I don't know anybody where I work who either has not put in a new kitchen or, or they're not, they're planning to put in a new kitchen and $40,000 will get you just an average kitchen renovation. You know, this is not high end. This is just run of the mill. I mean, you replace all your cabinets, your counters, your floor, your appliances, 40 grand and, and you have a new kitchen. The funny thing is it still cooks the same food. So it, 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 it and that's a lot it, of money too. Like that's, it's almost a $65,000 check. It is. And I, we, so you, you said we did a whole show on this and in that other show, I, I, I kind of laid out this, this mindset that a lot of people believe because they're doing it to their house, it, they're, they're, it, it's okay. You know, they're spending money on their house and their house is an investment. So that's okay. But it isn't. If you just say you put $40,000 into a kitchen and let's just say by some miracle, you're able to sell your house for $40,000 more, which that never happens. Generally, you get 60 to 70% return on home improvements when you sell your house. Best case scenario. But let's just say you did get 100% back. Well, you have to lay out the 40 grand in the first place. And you're getting it back when you sell your house. So you have not gained anything financially. You, you've gained nothing. So if anything, all you've done is expose yourself to risk that you might not get that $40,000 back. So home renovations are not an investment in your home. Now, I, I want to preface this by saying you have to do home repairs. You cannot let a house fall into disrepair. You have to sus- maintain a house's value. But when you are redoing your kitchen, I can't believe all your appliances stopped working the same day you had your kitchen done. So that's an example where you're just spending money unnecessarily. But if everybody is putting in new kitchens and everybody's working until they're 65, I mean, be different. Don't, you know, don't do that. Like paint your cabinets instead of putting in new ones. Do, do something different. Be, be frugal about, about the money you put into your home. And Trevor, you keep saying um, if the if you don't want to work till sixty five, and I think that it can also is synonymous for if you don't if 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 you do want to work to sixty five, but you want to pursue something you love that makes uh, less income than your current job, where you would have could retire earlier. Like I think it could be any kind of magical mess of a situation that you want to throw out as your goal. It doesn't just strictly have to be. Um, retiring before you're 65? Well, I think everyone should pursue early financial independence. That doesn't mean you have to stop working. It just means that you get to make more decisions about yourself. So being financially independent in your 50s means when, just say you work somewhere where they make, and your, your employer decides to be unethical. Well, you don't have to participate in that unethical scenario because you're financially independent you can walk away just say your job becomes i don't know your your job changes where you work and it changes into something that you don't like well if you're financially independent you can walk away from that and, and just being financially independent i think it just takes risk and stress out of your life so you're right you may want to keep working 
you should pursue financial independence early in life so you you the control shifts from your employer to you definitely and i i can def- definitely get behind that so my final question about uh point number three but avoid home improvements is there any time when you believe that uh, making home improvements not home repairs but home improvements is is worthwhile it could it be if you genuinely want to do it for yourself and it doesn't matter if that uh, there's a return when you sell your home. Is there any kind of justifiable means to do that? Well, just know that a home improvement is a lifestyle expense. It is not an investment. It is new kitchens and new bathrooms are lifestyle expenses, meaning you you could have spent it on a on a a new iPhone or something. <laughs> Got to get that reference in. Uh, you could have spent it on any other shiny object, like a home theater. But if you put it into home improvements, it is a lifestyle expense. In fact, if you put in a new kitchen or a new bathroom and then you just say you you live in that house for another 10 years and then you sell it, well, you've used up some of that new kitchen. I mean, you've it's not a new kitchen anymore. It's not a new bathroom anymore. If you've lived there for five or 10 years, you, you've consumed that expense in, in just using that space and letting it age. So it is truly home improvements 99% of the time are lifestyle expenses. Home repairs, you you have to maintain your house in working order. Anything beyond functional utility becomes a home improvement and a lifestyle expense. So let's move on to point number four. And your second last way to be different is vacation frugally. So this point sounds super counterintuitive just because vacation should be enjoyable, should be relaxing. How do you bring frugality and vacationing together? And why does this contribute to, to being different? Where I work, I'm, I, everybody is kind of strong, but almost everybody goes down south in the winter for a week minimum a week some people go for two weeks and it is a one-upmanship without question <laughs> everyone it, it is a contest that i i you can't win and i refuse to participate in it, people go on cruises and and show their photos and it, it's like i'm just imagining it, it. that's all that's i'm it, laughing just i call it a vacation off vacation you know it's, it's it, it is a it is a game that I I refuse to play. But people stopped asking me, you know. So where are you going? I, I'm not going. It's it's, it's lying on a beach for three thousand dollars for me and my wife for a week. I, I just I don't I don't get a lot of value out of that. And I, I've never done it. And all inclusive means I get to eat unhealthy food as much as I can <laughs> for a whole week. And, and I I don't like that either. So there's nothing there for me. For me, a vacation is, it's, I view vacations as adventures. I want to go on an adventure. And so I love canoeing and camping in like Algonquin Park in the, you know, backwoods. I like uh, mountain biking. I like hiking. I like camping. I like seeing historical things. You know, to me, that is a vacation. But all that can be done. So, I say vacationing, international travel is really expensive. I have a theory. I'm going to do some international travel in my retirement, without question. I have a few places I want to see. But there are so many places I have not seen that I can drive to 
in my own country or a neighboring country that I, I can do that so frugally, so, so inexpensively compared to international travel that I, I, I think I, I, st- I won't see all the places in Canada that I want to see. Like, I, I won't have enough time. There's so many places I want to see that I, I've never been to. Canada is a big country. I have relatives that come from overseas. They come here and, and they, they're just awestruck by some of the things we have in our country. So like there's, there's things worth seeing in our, in our own country that people just assume the grass is greener over in Europe. And I, I, I haven't been, so I, I can't say it isn't there. There's certainly more history over there. And, and I do want to see some of that, but make your, your expensive international travel, the exception, not the rule to your financial plan. Make it the, the, the few trips of a lifetime that you do take, but it, it's those, lying on the beach vacations those are the ones that I, I say be different be different don't don't one up everybody and you you you're able to lie on a more expensive beach than somebody else <laughs> and you know that's just the one thing where people actually brag about how much they spent I, I know it's with cruises that people say oh yeah we went on a a, a, a three thousand dollar cruise oh yeah we went on a six thousand dollar cruise like they they quote their cruises in dollars right and they don't even say where they went. They just tell me how much it costs. You're right? standing there gripping your I'll desk. Say, I'll say, I'll say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Your six thousand dollar cruise, did it have a destination? And you know, and they'll, oh yeah, it was the Caribbean. Okay. Another one's a Disney cruise. But it, it's they they refer to those trips in dollars and cents. So it is a contest, I think. So you mentioned when you discussed your frugal vacations, adventure, adventures. And what if you are a listener who enjoys the, the downtime, the beach, that, that kind of relaxation aspect of vacationing? Um, I know you have mentioned on the podcast before in the summer months that you, you do live um, in a town that has access to a beach and you and your wife do go to that beach. Is, is that your kind of suggestion about how maybe to, to get... Um, that relaxation in, but frugally is to kind of find it again, like you're saying more close to home and in, in, in your own backyard. Well, I think just for me, a vacation. So I want to be different. I, a vacation. I, I can get downtime anywhere, but a vacation isn't a, is a time for adventure, a time for to, to, to go into an environment you normally don't go into. So that, like I said, I don't go on vacations for downtime. I go on for experience. And is this mentality, has it been driven by, I mean, obviously you kind of, your media surroundings, your coworkers is definitely a driving factor, but is there anything before that, that drove your decision to vacation frequently? And, and I know we, we have talked about this in past episodes, so I don't want to go into it too in depth, but how has this jived with your family um, and, and your kids when, when they were growing up and, and maybe um, seeing their, their friends um, go on other international trips well i'm not saying i've never taken an international vacation i did take my kids to disney so they they, they did have that experience and I'm, I'm, I'm glad we did it it was it was a lot of fun i don't think we need to go every year or or multiple times so uh, and i did do a a march break trip down south once so we did have some experiences but it's the every year this this annual vacation three thousand dollars every year you don't have to be a rocket scientist to see how that adds up over over the years right it, it you you can't spend three grand every winter and then you know thousands more in the summer on your vacation and not have it affect you long term financially 
Definitely. And it becomes more of an expectation probably year after year that you're, you're going on this, both to individuals around you and yourself. Well, and if actually if you go with a group of people, it almost becomes like a, a, a responsibility to do this. And I, I'm saying treat yourself to the odd vacation for sure. Don't make it an annual event. And I, th- I think my final question on this point is, I mean, if, if any other Canadians are experiencing the dramatic snowfall we're, we're experiencing right now, how how do you easily just kind of toss aside your the inclinations that you'd like to be experiencing that warm getaway as well? I kind of equate, like, so I have gone down south in the winter and I kind of equate it to chocolate cake. <laughs> There's this short-term, you know, euphoria, this sugar hit, and then about an hour later, you feel like crap. So, <laughs> so if you do this in a vacation, you got this one week of euphoria and then you come back to the snow. I mean, it's probably feels colder than when you left, even though the temperature hasn't changed. That's how it felt for me. And you, and you just kind of feel like crap. <laughs> that's, that's fair. That's very fair. So uh, your final point about how to be different and why you should want to be different is don't follow the masses. So how does this, this point apply to basically everything else that could be in your life? It is. And so if you want your life to play out differently and you see that everybody's doing this one thing, like driving a $65,000 truck. By the way, for the record, Trevor is <laughs> loves his $65,000 checks. So I look down my street and all I see is these big pickup trucks, four-door pickup trucks being driven around like cars. And I know how much they cost and everyone's got one. Well, and most people work till they're 65. Well, I don't want my story to play out like that. I don't want to, I don't want, I don't want that story. So I know I have to do something different. So don't follow the masses. If everyone's getting in line buying an iPhone when the new phone comes out, that's the masses. Don't follow them. Be different. Want to be different is, is the point of number five see like put your antennas up and say wait a minute everybody's doing this this can't be good someone's right? look like, for ways that look for look, something that's that's just kind of perpetuating all of society and and ask yourself stop yourself and say what can i do that's the opposite yeah want want to be different make it your goal is whatever everybody else is doing i don't want to do that like i i went to a, a bicycle show with with uh, my father and a friend and uh, this friend bought an $11,000 bicycle. Whoa! 11, pedal bike, $11,000. Wow. And you know what? There was a whole bunch of people buying those $11,000 bikes. He got the second last one. Wow. So they had no problem selling these, right? And I said, I, I, and they were lining up. I, I, I'm never doing that, right? That, that's, that's insanity. So just look at what everyone's doing and if you really want something, nobody, like you want your story to play out differently, want to be different, like seek out what people aren't doing and do that. And I think 
this whole idea of wanting to be different when it pertains to personal finance, it's just, it's encouraging because you know that the end goal, you know that the result of being different will only benefit you. You, And you can kind of keep it tucked in the back of your head that by being different, it, you are not going to be living in debt. You'll retire early. You'll you'll achieve things that the masses aren't. To, to your point for, for point number five here, and I think that might be the, the ongoing reason that you keep going is that because you benefit you win. Well, being different comes with risk. So, so you're saying you, these are the outcomes you're going to get. No, these are the outcomes you're speculating you're going to get. Because you, you're being different. You, you're you're hard-pressed to find somebody whose story is already played out like you're, you're hoping yours does. But, so, but that's the point that I was kind of discussing at the begin, beginning is that you know what these individuals are doing. The masses are doing. They're, they're spending too much. They're living in debt. They're buying too big of homes, too cars too frequently. You know that. So if you do the opposite, can't you expect? I don't want to throw the word expect out. It's a little little certain. But can you almost basically expect to, to be living the opposite if you do the opposite? Well, I think you can you you hope it's going to play out like that, but you don't know to what degree it's going to play out the opposite, right? That's the one thing you don't know. You don't know how good or just it'll just be okay. It'll be great. You don't know that outcome. Fair. You do know what those decisions today are. So you you can have an idea how it's going to play out, but you don't know to what degree. No, that's fair because you can do, you can kind of add up the price tags of your $65,000 truck, your $500,000 home and kind of do the math there as you're acquiring things. But you're right. You don't know the severity of how much um, your decisions to be different will benefit you in the future. So Trevor, that brings us to the end of your five ways uh, to be different and, and essentially why you should want to be different. Is there anything else that you'd like to speak to, the, to this whole episode about before we, uh, we close off? I would just say be different and wear it as a badge of honor. I like it. I like it a lot. And on that note, thank you so much for being here with us this week as we discussed why you should be different. Don't forget, Frugality February starts this Friday. Um, we'll be taking part alongside with you and foregoing coffee and tea for the full 28 days. Luckily, it's a short month, so that's kind of on our side. Um, but thank you again for being with us. If there's another point, is there something that you do in your life that makes you different that you are proud of that you wear as a badge of honor let us know what that sixth or seventh or eighth point is that you incorporate into your life by reaching out to us through our contact submission form at livelifesimple.ca or by emailing us at livelifesimple365 at gmail.com thank you so much for being here with us again and we'll see you back here next week as we enter into the month of february thank you so much and until next week keep it simple